0: Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later. And ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting.
1: One time a guy handed me a picture of him and said, Here's a picture of me when I was younger. Every picture is of you when you were younger. Here's a picture of me when I'm older. You son of a bitch. How'd you pull that off? Let me see that camera. What's it look like?
2: Um,
1: I got a roommate. I live in New York City. I got a roommate to save money. But you see, I fucked up because I'm 31. I'm too old for a roommate. I fucked up severely. I signed a year lease too. I really fucked up. It's like I wrote a joke that didn't work, but now I had to tell it for a year.
2: <laughs>
1: so, so see, my roommate said, he goes, I need to shave and use the shower. Does anyone need to use the bathroom? It's like some weird-ass quiz where he reveals the answer first. Yeah.
0: There are comedians, and then there are comedians comedians. And then there are comedians, 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 and that's what we're here to talk about today. Uh, Mitch Hedberg, in his all-too-brief stand-up career, pushed boundaries and made an indelible impression on the landscape of stand-up comedy. I'm very excited to be digging into his career today um, because you know he's not just any old stand-up comedian. He's he's a very special and unique um performer so uh to help me do it i i've got a co-host with me here today someone you've heard on the podcast many wonderful times before including most recently clue uh and before that uh, the great pumpkin charlie brown uh, and many many others uh, welcome back to the podcast rich baker
3: thanks as always for having me doug it is such a fun time being on your show
0: man uh, i'm I'm really glad you picked this. We've been kicking around uh, the idea of doing this one for a while because I know he is really special to you. So um, I do want to dig into your nostalgic memories of of Mitch Hedberg. But before we even get there, I thought it might be even worth taking a a little bit of a step back and just talking about your relationship with stand-up comedy because um, our audience may or may not know both of us did improv for a long time. And improv Mm -hmm. is not stand-up comedy which of course we spend the rest of our lives as improvisers having to explain to people yeah Um, (laughs) because someone goes oh do your routine and it's like no i don't have a routine that's the point it's improvised hence the name um it's you know literally it's like i'm i'm doing this with a group of friends with zero script stand-up comedy is i'm doing this all by myself with a script i worked on and practiced a million times so yeah completely opposite art forms but so so tell me a little bit about your relationship to stand up
3: yeah i'd love to um when i was a kid uh stand-up was not that prevalent on television as you may remember it uh if you weren't actually going to the clubs it was hard to see stand-up in the 80s but hbo I think pioneered, as far as I understand it, uh, the idea of the comedy special, where if a comedian has worked their material to the point where they just think it is crack, just sharp as it can be, then they give them an hour to just do their thing in front of a big audience and they tape it and they use all the different angles up. And so I saw all those growing up. I was addicted. I was probably saw them when I was way too young to be hearing some of that language. But I mean, I did. And, you know, it was Paula Poundstone and George Carlin and, uh, um, you know, Jerry Seinfeld and, and Ellen DeGeneres and just all these people. And I absorbed it. I loved it. And I didn't understand as a kid that exactly what you said was that this was scripted material I, the way that these people talked on stage felt to me like they were just being themselves in front of a crowd just off the cuff telling stories or whatever and just kill it and i thought that was the coolest thing like i liked music and acting everything else but to see someone just stand up there by themselves and just crush in front of a crowd with just words that has always been obviously a big thing of mine, and and I wound up doing stand up a lot. And I took a break from it for a while, and I just got back into it uh, right before the end of twenty twenty three. I did stand up for the first time in ten years, and now I've got another show coming up. Uh, it'll be uh, this podcast will air after it happens, but the hope is that I'm or the the plan is to start getting back up regularly and and rekindling my performance uh,
0: muscles. Man, that that's awesome because. As much performing as I've done over the years, I've never had the balls to do stand-up. Um, <laughs> it, it always has terrified me because, like, at least with improv, I have the safety net of, like, I got my friends and I've got the mulligan with the audience that we're all just making this up anyway, yeah. right? So who cares? Yeah. Um, you That gets you a lot of, like, free mileage in terms of what you get to do. Um, yeah. You know, when you go to a stand-up show, there's obviously the audience is going to sit back and go, like, okay, asshole, you've had time to work on this, so let's see it. Yeah, Um, I mean they're going there to.
3: I mean they're going there for one purpose, one purpose only is make us make me laugh. You you say you're gonna make me laugh, do it.
0: Right, and while uh, there's always like you know a good five percent of people that seem to think that heckling is part of the fun, and I I have yet to see a comedian who says yeah I enjoy it when that happens. It's literally like. Uh, you know, if, if you're a surgeon, it's like, imagine you're trying to do surgery and someone comes up behind you every so often and like grabs you in the shoulders. And it's like, motherfucker, yes, I can avoid killing this person on the table, but don't make me have to do that. Um, yeah. So all that stuff. Yeah. It's like I mean, I learned how to deal with heckling a little bit in, during improv, but um, not the way that like a stand up would. And certainly not the way like Mitch Hedberg does. And you can hear that in some of his specials.
1: What's that, my man? Glass. Sure. You need to have sugar. It's empty, dude. <laughs> I got something to put in your pipe, though. <laughs> You're all about refilling shit. <laughs> Do you work at a gas station? I'll take another one of these. Though. What's your name, sir? Yeah. What, Phil? Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say Phil. That's perfect. <laughs> your name is Bill? Yeah. What? Yeah. No, you're lying now. <laughs> you're f- full of shit. <laughs> you're a plumber. Well. Wow. Let me get to the question, then. What do you do for a living? I guess we're doing this backwards. All right, what's the next
0: answer? Yeah. But, like... you said that like stand-up comedy was a little hard to access in the 80s, and it sort of is and it isn't, because like, it was actually ascendant during the 80s in terms of like the amount of stand-up happening. If you were happening. an adult
3: and could yeah. go out to a club, absolutely. It was everywhere.
0: I remember watching a lot of it on TV. There was this A&E, did uh, the A&E channel would have Evening at the Improv on a lot, mm. and VH1 would have a thing called Stand-Up Spotlight. And this is the late, late 80s and early 90s, but just like you... Like I grew up, like I remember, there was um, a, uh, may may his name forever be salted the earth. Bill Cosby, yeah, um, as but himself, like he the had a, he had that special. Like I watched that a million times because unfortunately, being good at stand up comedy and not being a human garbage monster are not necessarily related. Uh, but it was a great stand up special, nevertheless. I watched that. I watched George Carlin. I remember some older stuff like Buddy Hackett. I remember seeing. Like, my dad had tapes of some of that stuff. Uh, much older, you know, stand up comedy, yeah. and I just like you. I was a student of this stuff. I absorbed it. I loved it, and I agree that like watching a stand up kill, it's not that different from watching like Jimmy Page do an incredible guitar solo.
3: I yeah, I I, I totally agree. I think that uh, comedy and music are so closely related as far as the from the performer's point of view of what you have to do to succeed. And, uh, you know, just like, you know, musicians write the music ahead of time. They know what they're going to play before they play it. Uh, Unlike them, right, the audience theoretically doesn't know what the comedian's about to say. And it's, uh, you know, it's living on the edge. And it's it's where the adrenaline is. It's the comedic equivalent, for me at least, of jumping out of an airplane. Like, oh man, it's scary, but it's worth it. Uh,
0: Yeah, and I think, you know... Guys like you, uh, you know, I've met so many people, you know, through improv over the years uh, and even just doing this podcast that like people who are really into comedy, I think in their bones, like love to get under the hood of how jokes work. Um, You know, it's, it's that understanding of like, oh, it's not. Yeah, I watched a Mel Brooks movie and it made me laugh. Like, well, no, it's it's having that deeper understanding of the mechanics of why it works. And then, obviously, you have to have that understanding to be able to to do it yourself. And watching someone like Mitch Hedberg is really special, which is why I said, you know, he's the co- a comics, comics, comic to to really get what he's doing. He is operating at that kind of a level. Is I mean, he's not Andy Kaufman. That the Andy Kaufman is doing the same thing in a different like direction. Yeah, but. The, but the same idea of like, or, or Steve Barton would do this too. Like someone who like, I have I understood the base, you know, co- comedy 101. Yeah. Now I'm going to start inverting shit in like the way this works and take you for a ride to places that you normally can't get to.
3: Yeah. Yes. And I think if there's one thing I want people to take away from this podcast uh is that Mitch Hedberg was not just some stoner who happened to sound funny. He was a constant craftsman who, who you know, as personality-wise and, you know, he had good and bad and different things, but like his work ethic, no one can say anything bad about it because up until what we'll talk about later when he really got into heroin, unfortunately. But before that, the man was just a constant writer, constant editor, constant, and going up as much as he could. He honed his voice. He honed his, his jokes, his timing. Like he knew what he was doing. It was no accident that he would just
0: happen to be this guy. Yeah. I mean, that is a lot of the, the charm of it, right? Is that he appears to be this like beatnik. Yes, Yeah. You know, he, he kind of, that is a persona that he, he hones. But also, like, it is the only, like, this is one of the things, like, you need this ingredient to make these jokes work. Like, because on paper, they're kind of funny, they're heady, some of them are sort of basically just glorified dad jokes. But there's something about the way he delivers them in this persona and sets this mood that enables these jokes to be really funny in a way that nobody else could get away with this material.
1: My lucky number is four billion. That doesn't come real handy when you're gambling. Come on, four billion. Fuck, seven. Not even close. I need some more dice. Four billion divided by six, at least.
2: <laughs>
1: snake, eyes. snake eyes, now. <laughs> I just said snake eyes. It's a gambling term. Oh, it's an animal turn, too. (laughs) Popsicles are for the summer tonight. (laughs) I like to play blackjack. I'm not addicted to gambling. I'm addicted to sitting in a semicircle.
3: 100% agreed. I think... I think the key to his success was his musicality mixed with his sincerity. Uh, He delivers these jokes so sincerely, like he's just having a thought he wants to share with you. And there's something about that, you know, that as good as Stephen Wright was, as good as Ronnie Dangerfield was, and several other one-liner comedians, uh, which is a huge craft in and of itself, I think Mitch Hedberg was able to do one-liners through a personality that was just the absolute, like, maximum combination of hilarious and engaging
0: yeah yeah again we'll, we'll get into sort of the details of some of this stuff but like the the phrase you had to be there um kind of comes to <laughs> mind it's it's this idea of like he he opens this window into this character that he is and, it, and there is sincere it's not just like a put on he's not you know Pee Wee Herman or something he's not a that much of a caricature but there no, is I mean. this heightened a heightened persona that he lets you in that you know a lot of the joy of these jokes is like just the joy of observing how this person's mind works differently from pretty much every other person you've met um so before before we get too far into that I'd le- let's uh let's get back to the main event which is Rich how did you get into Mitch Hedberg tell me about your nostalgic memories of him
3: When I was in film school, uh, I was on set, we were shooting some, some video, whatever, and I heard the sound guy talking to the boom guy, and they were cracking up. And I'm working camera and I'm looking over, and I'm like, what is so funny? And so, in between takes, I ran over there and I'm like listening in. And the boom guy was an impressionist like you and I. And he was doing his impression of someone I'd never heard of at the moment, Mitch Hedberg. And he was doing some of the jokes from his first CD, Strategic Drill, Grill Locations. And I, they were cracking up. And like, even just hearing this guy's impression of Mitch Hedberg was making me laugh in very short increments between having to actually get the shot, you know, move the camera and go to work. And uh, I just remember, like, after the shoot being like, who was the guy you were talking about? And he goes, oh, it's Mitch Hedberg. Like, his CD's real hard to find, but, man, if you can find it, it's hilarious. And he burned me a copy, and uh, that's when I fell in love, like, right away.
0: Yeah, I mean... This will click with you instantly. Um, you know, it's it's very clear what he's doing and you just have to kind of settle in, um, settle in for it. I assume once that happened, I mean, did you ever get a chance to see him before he passed or?
3: Oh, yes. So my I was dating a girl in college who was lived in Austin. We're in Fort Worth. So that's about three hours away. And I found out he was coming to Austin that uh, the summer of 2003. And she lived there and I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drive down. I'm going to take you to see this guy. Don't worry. You've never heard of him. It doesn't matter. And we're going to laugh our freaking faces off. And I, we went to, I don't even remember the name of the club, but we went there and you know, it was your standard club lineup. You got a host and then you got like a five minute guy and then like a feature guy. And then, and then eventually you get to your headliner who's supposed to do 45 minutes. Mitch takes the stage. And I, I think the. Some of the comics that would we form were good or i don't remember if any were terrible but i don't remember like being like oh god that was awful you know so it was probably fine so we weren't like a cold crowd but we certainly weren't ready for what was about to happen and mitch Hedberg hit the stage and just like just like a jimmy page hitting a perfect guitar solo his timing was such that he would make us laugh as soon as we started to be done laughing he would make us laugh again and he would just kept cracking the whip to where i my abs hurt. I couldn't breathe. I mean, I was the room was just the most energy I've ever felt in a room ever uh, in my life. And at 45 minute mark, he kind of looks up at the back and goes, uh, how, "Am I the last show tonight?" And they're like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Great. I ain't stopping." And we cheered like crazy. And he went on for another like 25 minutes and just again never missed not. Once and I've never again I've never seen anything like it before or since. Uh, but I've heard from other people who've seen him at that stage in his career that he had gotten to that point. That was right before the heroin really started. And but it was after he'd recorded two CDs and he was just on fire.
0: Yeah, it's crazy to think he packed so much into so short a career because really he started coming to prominence in around, I don't know, ninety-seven or so and yeah. he passed away in 2005. Yeah. He recorded only 3 albums and one of them was released posthumously. Yep. So it's it's wild to think that he made such a mark in so short a time span and for a guy who's like I think a lot of comedians you know sense would cite as highly influential Absolutely. still one of a kind. Like there are comedians who go out and do one-liners, I can think of places where you can see some influence of this, but no one's ever even come close to replicating it. And no one's ever really tried because Mm -mm. you can't, this is, you know, again, it's so unique to him and his talent that it, you know, it, it defies something like that. You couldn't have a Mitch cover band of a comedian, you know, it wouldn't work or someone trying to adopt that persona. It would ring false because this, this thrives on the authenticity that he brings and you can't fake that.
1: I was gonna have my teeth whitened, but then I said, fuck that. I'll just get a tan instead. (laughs) I got some tartar control toothpaste. I still got tartar, but that shit's under control. (laughs) If the tartar gets out of line, I'm like, come on, man, you know the deal. Just fall in. You crazy ass tartar. I got so much tartar, I don't have to dip my fish sticks in shit. That's, that's actually kind of gross, you know. After that joke, I always clarify that I'm just joking. I don't know how much tartar I actually have. I believe it's the average amount. If we all did a tartar test right now, my name would be right in the fucking middle. I would like to go fishing and catch a fish stick. That would be convenient. I could easily get a job with Mrs. Paul's. they just put me in a boat with some empty boxes. And I would return them to the freezer section of your neighborhood grocery store.
3: Yes, and I have absolutely hosted mics back in the day where people would come up and... Then they they do their set and they get done, and I'd be like, "Mitch Hedberg fan, huh?" And they're like, "Yeah, how'd you know?" And I was like, "Just a guess, man." <laughs> Yeah. This is like they were trying to hit his voice, they were trying to write in his style you know and it, it, it was it was cute I remember at the time being like all oh, and like now I'd be like, oh you know that's great, that's part of your growth you' are you're mimicking until you try and find your own voice and that kind of thing but a lot of people got into stand-up because of him. a lot of people modified the way they were doing stand-up because of mitch it's uh, it's kind of insane and I saw him a second time, but I'd, I'd love to
0: tell that one later at the end of the sto- of, of the podcast. All right. Well, we'll put a pin in that for later. I guess we should kind of get into like what this is like for people who have not heard Mitch Hedberg. And of course, I'll throw in clips here and there throughout the episode so people can hear some of this stuff because us just sitting here going like, oh, remember that joke he did about the garden hose? That's pretty fucking funny. Here, I'll do it. Like you would absolutely drain it of all joy. Uh, doing that. Yes. Yes. So we won't be doing that. Um, but I want to, you know, f- as much as we can, because this stuff is sometimes hard to put into words, kind of articulate what he is doing under the hood that makes this so special. Um, because I, nothing makes comedy funny like explaining it, of course. But I do think there is some merit here to to studying this and understanding why this is so unique. Um, And that's not to denigrate, say, a Jerry Seinfeld who would do observational humor. Jerry Seinfeld is a a legend for a reason. He's very, very good at what he does. And there's room for a million different comedic styles. But this is one of these, like, unicorns that only just comes around every once in a while, like an Andy Kaufman, who I think is probably... I, I think, yeah, I would say Andy Kaufman and Steve Martin are the two comedians I would put up against him in terms of people who... turn the format upside down and inside out to do something new. Um, So if you like Andy Kaufman or Steve Martin, I think there's a lot to appreciate here. Definitely from a game changer point of view. Absolutely.
3: So uh, just to kind of answer a little bit of your question, like one of the things he does and he does many things, but one of them is he tries, he crafts jokes with as few words as possible. And uh, usually a joke is a setup and a punchline. So at minimum, it's two sentences. Um, But he has several jokes that are one sentence that managed to put a setup and a punchline in literally one, you know, before one period. And I, I don't know if it's his shortest joke, but I couldn't find any other joke that I word counted just up for myself. So I didn't like this isn't official or anything. But the shortest joke I found of his is a severed foot is the ultimate stocking stuffer and is eight
0: words long. It's a lot like a Farside comic in that way. Like Gary Larson would do this stuff where he could uh, go back to our Farside episode, but like you could put a simple visual thing, you know, you know, some, some Farside comics don't even have the caption at the bottom because the, he would lay something out there and then wait for you to catch up and Mitch Hedberg does the same thing with his stand-up jokes. There are jokes and I wish I had like a list of them in front of me to pull one from. I I know you can do them all from memory, I'm sure. I also have a list too. <laughs> oh good, cuz I don't. But like um he would do things that like uh, here's one that I remember that played with the form, which was where he said, you know, I sometimes I like to pinch the microphone cord up and then I let it go and then you guys get a lot of jokes at once. Yeah, a whole bunch I'm of jokes come
3: out at once, yeah.
0: Yeah, like something like that is, that's a very far side kind of a joke as a stand-up joke where, you know, it's, it's silly, it's whimsical, it's playful. It isn't, um he doesn't really do any storytelling. You know, most comedians, especially now, you know, um, you know, you go to see Patton Oswalt or someone like that, he'll just tell you, weird shit that happened when he took a trip to the supermarket. And then he'll riff on that for a while and expand it and do things. But he's a storyteller. That's how he, he, uh, his sets go. And I love him. I think he's a great standup comedian. Absolutely. Um, This is a, but this is a different species.
3: Yes. Yeah. And very few, if any comics who are alive today would not agree with me in at least saying that Mitch was a force of nature, that he was like, Different from he stood out, you know, like we all get that. Like, no, no one's offended when they're like, no, I'm no Mitch Hedberg. Like, nobody (laughs) is offended about that. It's like saying, you know, back in the day that like, hey, I'm no Elvis. You know, it's like, of course, no one was Elvis, but Elvis
0: for a while. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, that tells you something about how other comedians viewed what he was doing, because not every comedian can do this. And he's doing something that most comedians weren't doing. Uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, and certainly not now, um, which is telling just jokes, right? These are like self-contained, set-up punchline jokes. They're devoid of context. They're not part of a a narrative. You know, at most, there's a narrative that might extend over like two to three jokes, which is really just a way of like building to a bigger punchline. But basically, you know, this reminds me of something like you would use when you used to go see a stand-up comedian and a guy like Buddy Hackett would come out and say, like, you know, a guy walks into a drugstore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm just telling a joke. This didn't happen to me. I'm not trying to make it relatable. I'm just going to tell you something funny that happened. And I'm not making an observation about life like it's this is a like almost like a mathematical equation. It is a piece of comedy just floating in a void.
2: Yeah,
1: My fake plants died because I did not pretend to water them. I think animal crackers made people think that all animals taste the same. What does a giraffe taste like? A hippopotamus. I had him back to back. I'd hate to be a giraffe with a sore throat. God damn it anyway.
3: And he managed to get that style with this persona uh, in a way that just hit like like it never been hit before.
0: Well, the persona is really worth talking about because the persona is very it is a beatnik kind of yes. persona. Like even the, that first album has like a stand up bass just <laughs> behind the entire album. Yep. Like it was you know um it, it has more in common I think with something like Lenny Bruce for another yeah. you know. Uh, you know, giant of stand-up comedy gone too soon. um, I think you can draw a lot of parallels between, uh, between Mitch Hedberg and Lenny Bruce. Sure.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I remember hearing that second CD and being disappointed that the bass wasn't in it. I was like, Oh, I just thought this was his thing, you know? And it wasn't, it just, it just kind of happened for the one CD, but uh, you know, because, Having only heard that one at the time, I was like, oh, this guy takes a bassist with him everywhere he goes. Like, how cool is that? No, that's not what happened.
0: <laughs> no, it very much has the feel of like, yeah, I'm watching Allen Ginsberg in 1955. Yeah. At some smoky club in Greenwich Village. Like that's that he's cultivating that on purpose because it allows him to basically do this, you know, groovy daddy-o, like take yeah. you into this weird headspace. Um, to do this stuff
3: but the difference between like the the names you just dropped who, who were like in that that style is that the beatniks at least is what i know of them is that they were very smart right and they were they they didn't they didn't pretend otherwise whereas mitch hedberg is a smart guy but like all his jokes come from this very naive like almost like simpleton kind of place Like he believes things that are, you know, that are absurd and whatnot, but like he's so genuine with it that like, you think he's just this nice idiot who thinks these things, you know, he's not, but like, it's so good. You don't
0: care. Yeah. It's an incredible performance because of that. Like, like I said, you, you, some of these jokes, um, require you to follow him along this path right you have to go with him on this journey which is partly believing that like oh he is an idiot yeah. right yeah. you know, for him to have some, some of these thoughts sound they sound like you know stoner thoughts you yes. know but to be like denigrating and that's the genius in that like it it sounds like that it comes across like that but you realize you know when you actually are paying attention no he's an extremely quick wit oh, to yeah. be able to think of this stuff and the quickness is amazing because the, this obviously you don't have to be that quick to deliver something you've memorized but watch him as you listen to these albums anytime there's a hiccup right there's a heckler a joke does lands with a thud he expects to go well um, there's a noise from somewhere and he has to ne- then actually adapt on the fly he crushes that stuff in a way yeah. that's like, oh no no he is you know he is absolutely the smartest guy in the room,
3: yeah yeah and he he's in charge of the flow he knows he knows what's going on here uh let me give you an example of kind of the joke we're talking about I read last year that mTV's real world got forty thousand applications that's amazing man, such an even number
0: <laughs> well, that's another thing about comedy right all, all of comedy works because of uh expectations upended right
3: or um, met what, that's the other or yeah.
0: or sometimes met yeah but mm-hmm. basically yeah they're pl- all all comedy derives from playing with your expectations what i love about a joke like that is the, the turn he takes is so unexpected right the, that because a lot of these jokes are all about abstraction mm-hmm. and so you know, normally, like, okay, he's t- he's introducing this concept. Where we're talking about MTV's the real world and how many applications they got, and you think he's going into something that's maybe a little bit of like I don't know, um, a dig at the real world, sure. um, you know, so, something like that's the that's the most logical place to go or you, where you think that joke is going, where it goes by saying, "Oh, such a round number," for him to say like the, the thing I find comically delightful is that this obviously, you know. Estimated number is in fact the accurate count. Yeah. Like, what an odd Like, that's why he's a comedian's comedian is because no one would expect you to make that the crux of the joke.
3: Right. Because it, as you said, that could be the setup before his punchline to a totally different joke about the real world or something of that or reality TV or whatever. And like, and and so, like, where he lulls us into this false sense of we know where it's going. Zoop. And then not only does he reverse it in like a hard left, but he, he does it and ends the joke so quickly that like people are laughing like it's, it's one of those hit, beat, beat, then laugh kind of things. And it's insane.
0: Well, kind of like the stocking stuffer joke you mentioned before, he will end a joke abruptly um, and then, you, yeah, he will wait for you to catch up. Like there's a lot of like oh wait oh, that's the end of the joke oh wait I'm, the whole joke must be present I have to solve the puzzle for what the yeah. joke was hey that's pretty clever you know like yeah. that that step and that happens in your head like you can hear it that that like that couple of beats before the audience starts laughing um, it's it's really impressive to be able to have the confidence in your writing to know that this will work. Like it yeah. feels like it's one of those things where like, you know, it's like when you see those pictures of uh, old flying machines before yeah. the Wright brothers plane or like, you know, oh, it's like a biplane with like 10 wings and they all collapse on each other. Like yeah. you look at this and you like, this should not work. Like he, he must've, I mean, obviously it works because he tried it out in front of an audience a hundred times to, sure. to hone it. But like, yeah, even just like the base concept For him to know, like yes, this joke will hit. It will make people laugh in this structure. The way I've set this up um, is incredible. Like again, like if I was to get up and do stand up, I know I would not have the ability to write jokes like that. Um, I could never do this. It's it's so mathematical. Well, and like you're a smart and funny guy. Like you probably
3: could write two or three jokes like this, but to fill forty five minutes. With these kind of like less than a minute long jokes, some of them less than thirty second long jokes. I mean, that is filling up a bucket with you know like like the tiniest like little thing. It's like it's gonna take forever, but he had the patience to just keep crafting and crafting. And I just want to um, mention something that uh, not a lot of people probably know about him is that. He was, I believe he was originally from Minnesota, but he did right. comedy there. He did comedy in Seattle. He did comedy in San Francisco. Uh, I, I believe he did in Boston. I'm not talking about touring. like everyone goes to those places when they tour. Like he would like move there and then and then do comedy in, the, in those scenes. And I don't I've never heard it said this, but I'm guessing one of the reasons why is because he wanted to make sure that his material was working. You know like as i have no name in this town i'm gonna start from scratch and i'm gonna and it's different people different crowds how do i make them laugh honing his voice in these different markets
0: yeah yeah and i think that when you say honing the voice i mean it is the this comedic style right that these tiny like jokelets that make up his act yeah uh plus the persona um, putting it's the putting that together part of it that really makes this sing because like you said, you know if, if I'm gonna fill up a set that's say just a fifteen minute you know set that you would give to you know a starting out comedian right if if I'm Pat Oswalt and I'm a storyteller I can the 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 like word to joke ratio is not the same as Mitch Hedberg, because if he's telling you all of these jokelets, it's just one punchline after the other, after the other, after the other. There's no long setup to a big payoff, right? None of those things. So the batting average on these little jokes has to be extremely high because you're going to lose the audience if you can't keep up the pace of doing all of these little one-liners and making them work. You've got to be batting a 1,000 to do this. And the, those, I mean, yes, he does what all comedians do, which is that he has a way of, like, if a joke bombs, he has a way of dealing with it. Sure. But he doesn't have to do it very often.
1: Yeah, I bought myself a parrot. The parrot talked, but it did not say I'm hungry, so it died. <laughs> I get a cold, so I hate to say it. Minnesota, but in a cold sore, I put Carmex on it. Cause Carmex is supposed to alleviate cold sores. I don't know if it does help, but it will make them shiny and more noticeable. It's like cold sore highlighter. Maybe they could come up with an arrow that heals cold sores. I fucking hate arrows, man. They try to tell me which direction to go. It's like, fuck you, I ain't going that way. Line with two thirds of a triangle on the end. Imagine being killed by a bow and arrow that would suck an arrow killed you. They would never solve the crime. Look at that dead guy. Let's go that way
3: <laughs> No, and if his his set wouldn't work if he did like if he had to if he had to recover you know joke after joke after joke, then um, these one liners would wouldn't be enough um, and you know there's a clip you can find on YouTube of him from nineteen ninety five and his voice is very much like a 1.0 of what we know it from, you know, his, his albums and uh, his whole, he even has a couple of jokes that are verbatim the same that he still, he'll do later. But what's funny is almost all of his jokes involve him doing something, some kind of criminal activity. And uh, I'm thinking like, oh, his, he started out with a, like a criminal persona. Like he was like, I'm the, I'm the guy who, I'm the petty theft kind of guy, which is very interesting. Uh, Because he's not at all that like he like the only illegal things he really talks about doing is doing drugs, but he never talks about like stealing from people or hurting people or anything like that. And so it's very interesting to think about like how his he had, okay, this persona is not working for me. How do I take the good stuff from it and then kind of do something different?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And again, you're feeding it through this beatnik character that he's doing that. It facilitates this kind of like mind opening experience for the audience. It, you know, it, it's, as you said, it's sort of a way of, um, making this material accessible. It feels like this is the right format. Like if if a person was to stand up and just tell these jokes straight, the way you and I are talking now, they would be like mildly interesting. Um, but having it be through this persona, he, he sets such a mood. That the mood is what enables you to kind of like you get in this groove with him as he is leading you. And and then then now each joke is an event, right? It's, ooh, I can't wait to hear, you know, what this is going to be. Yeah. You know, so uh, I'm, yeah. I mean, do you have any particular favorite jokes?
3: I have a top 10 list if you want to.
0: Yeah, uh, I did not make one. I did not have time to put that together, but I want to hear yours.
3: And, you know, it's like anything... I love so many of his jokes that it was... There was plenty more jokes that I uh, could have put in the top ten, but these are the ones that made it. So uh, one of them is one of his super short jokes, 12 words long. I haven't slept for 10 days, because that would be too long.
0: (laughs) That is... That, again, perfect, like, Hedberg construction, right? Again, playing with, like, just the numbers. And I believe that joke then, like, transitions into... Um a bunch of other jokes like sort of about that he takes that concept and kind of plays around with it for a little while. But he not, does that like, quite a
3: bit, like bunches them up by subject matter and stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh I, I do like that one. I I'm trying to think there was one another couple I I just listened to them all like back to back to back, so now it's hard to remember them because it is just like they're coming at you so fast. There's yeah. so many of them. Um, but yeah, I I do love that one. Uh okay, what's your number nine?
3: Uh, this is So he sometimes wrote jokes about writing comedy, which uh, I, I hadn't heard very much at that point, I don't think. Now it's kind of commonplace, but um, I remember this feeling, like it, at least, that it was new to me.
1: See, I write jokes for a living, man. You know, I sit in my hotel at night, I think of something that's funny, then I go get a pen and I write it down. <laughs> or if the pen's too far away, I have to convince myself that what I thought of ain't funny. <laughs>
0: I, I remember hearing that one earlier today. I I think, uh, you know, again, he kind of gives off this persona that like I'm an idiot just sort of babbling up here. Mm-hmm. And so this like slacker vibe goes yeah. with that joke of like, uh yeah, i'm I'm not putting a lot of effort into this or you know that that whole thing which again obviously it's fake because writing this stuff takes immense effort and precision Mm -hmm. um but i yeah that's a perfect example of one of those jokes where he is using the the slacker beatnik persona to sell you know a very simple and funny concept of yeah i I have to give up on a joke because i don't want to reach for the pen
3: yeah and uh yeah he he definitely like he'll call himself lazy a lot, and he might have actually believed he was, but I mean he wasn't just even like you can't be lazy and do what he did, but uh as someone who always thinks that I'm never doing enough i i can I can see where like it wouldn't matter if he was writing a thousand jokes a day he'd be like, oh, I'm not doing enough like that's how we're wired yeah, yeah, great choice
0: uh, okay, you're number eight
3: I don't have a girlfriend, I just know a girl who would get really mad if she heard me say that. <laughs>
0: I like that one. Yeah. Um, like, he doesn't really do relationship humor. Um, it, it, much. It's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting kind of uh, thing for him to sort of mostly spend time on minutia um, and not interpersonal things. He never talks about, uh, he, he almost never even mentions his family, um, you know, things like that. There was like one joke where he was joking about how, Uh, You know, my dad would—I'd rub it in my dad's face. There was something about that, but not—not a serious discussion of you know his dad or you know things he did when he was a kid or anything like that. Like none of this is real. It's amazing how authentic he feels without really revealing any personal information.
3: And you know, it's interesting as uh, and we're talking about comedians in the eighties. Like most sitcoms were starring comedians were based on the comedian's stand-up right and so stand-ups would tell stories about their families or their jobs or whatever and so those characters would emerge but mitch Hedberg right. didn't really have characters because he wasn't telling jokes long enough to have characters he might mention his dad or his sister or something like that but i mean you didn't know anything about him other than exactly what you need to know to tell the joke
0: right and it was only for the purpose of this abstract comedy equation not for the purpose of again like being relatable uh, you know oh my my dad what a character he was right there's yeah. none of that um and what you're talking about of this like stand-up comedy to sitcom pipeline that was the early night i mean basically that was you know that's seinfeld that's home improvement right the drew carey show cosby Emily, show
3: right? yeah i mean you yeah. go down the list yeah
0: right that was like okay how do we take this persona and the 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 motifs that these comedians tend to talk about and build it into a 22 minutes of television for, Mm -hmm. you know, 24 episodes a year. Um, Mitch Hedberg would not work for that. I I think he even had some kind of a deal to develop a sitcom that never came to fruition. Um, I remember seeing something about that, but I couldn't even imagine what that would look like.
3: There's a story uh, that he tells in an interview about. um, He had a TV deal for a minute and the guy was trying to pitch him on being a hockey coach <laughs> it's like yeah if you yeah whatever you want man like it's like i'm not a hockey coach you know it's like what what are we doing here uh because you know as you said they just they didn't know what to do with him they were like he's very funny but we don't know how to how to make money off him being funny
0: yeah i mean you could make him a hockey coach why the hell not i think sure i, think I, I can't even conceive of what a uh, a show would look like for this, I think it would have to be something where he was just given free reign to just sort of be weird and say whatever yeah. he wanted, maybe something like Seinfeld that was less plot heavy um <laughs> I mean, but still I, I i can't see how this would translate to normal sitcom format so um oh yeah, uh, so your number is it number eight or number seven John? we're on number seven uh it's a number little bit seven. of a longer one. <laughs>
1: I saw this lady on TV. She was born without arms. She was born with her hands attached to her shoulders, and that was sad. But then they said Lola does not know the meaning of the word can't, and that to me was actually kind of worse in a way. You know, not only does she not have arms, but she doesn't understand simple contractions. Uh,
0: This is again like you can see like the how the the sausage gets made here. Like you look at just the last few jokes we talked about. Right, this one um, is very similar to the the you know the forty thousand people at the real world thing. Right, it's I'm yeah. the the turn I'm taking is nowhere near the turn you expect, which is now it's a punctuation joke. Yeah, um, you know, th- this really th- uh, this joke in particular sounds a lot to me like a Steve Martin joke. Um, yeah, you know, the way he would do some of his stand up and just like. Um, I, I can't think of a specific Steve Martin joke as we sit here, but like that kind of it's it's hard to call it anti-comedy. Um, anti-comedy is kind of a, a different animal, um, but it's close to anti-comedy.
3: Yeah, there was a, there's one Steve Martin joke where uh, he's he talks about getting pussy and and people do this and he goes I was talking about her cat. That cat was the best lay I've ever had. You know, it was like yeah. that kind of thing where it's like, oh, he doesn't does mean this. Oh, he means this, you know, kind of uh, f- focusing on a different part of the, the joke.
0: He would do that a lot. Yeah, he would he would you would kind of flip the thing and then flip it back to yeah. exactly where you thought it was. And it, he was great at that. Um, all right. You are number six. Mitch Hedberg joke.
1: I imagine it's cool. He gets concerned. He says, Mitch, don't use liquor as a crush. I can't use liquor as a crutch because a crutch helps me walk.
0: <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I, I almost got ahead of him there and I thought it was about to be like, well, the bottle doesn't, is too small to be used as a crutch. You know, some, something, some version of that. Yeah. Um. You know, but I, I love this. Um there are a fair number of jokes like this, too. These, like, substance abuse related jokes. There was another one. Uh, I was trying to remember. Um, he was joking about pot, I think, and I can't remember what the. He's got, oh he's got a lot. Yeah.
3: He's got like, uh, my FedEx dealer, my FedEx uh, driver does, doesn't, he's a drug dealer and he doesn't know it, you
0: know? <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> yeah, definitely a few jokes here and there about the effects of drugs and alcohol that you know those increase in frequency unfortunately as uh, his career went on um all right yeah number five
3: this might be the most quoted joke that I've heard from other comedians quoting it
1: my friend asked me if I wanted a frozen banana I said no
0: but I want a regular banana later so yeah (laughs) what can you even say about a joke like that right I mean it I don't know. It's interesting that you know, he he obviously the the math is okay, things that are frozen, I can eat later, right? That's the that is the what's going on under the hood of it. But to it's not just that he thought of that, it's the it is the delivery you just gave the right, so yeah, so yeah, yeah. So here's here's some jazz to go with your joke.
3: Yeah, and I mean, he knew the little things, the little jazz notes that he could hit in a given moment. And he was like, oh, I need you to laugh a little more here.
0: Sweeten it. Da-ding. And that's the stuff that really makes this sing, I think. Because, again, we can talk about these jokes, but that, that extra little bit of English he puts on it with that jazz persona takes these, you know, very what are actually very cerebral jokes yeah. and makes them like more of a like a comedy gut punch that it hits yeah. harder. <laughs> You know, yeah. like, this This is why, like, something like The Far Side is more dry. Because as great as it is, it's not being delivered to you this way. It's much more sedate. And this is almost like, what if I took that off the page and made it, like, you know, musical in some yeah.
3: way? You know, it's funny is I, you know, I'm a fan of The Far Side and Mitch Hedberg forever. And I never, until you said it, put them together. Of Like, he is absolutely the stand-up version of Far Side. Like, 100%. Yeah, I, I
0: think the more that I listen to him and the more that I read those two, it, it seems to me that they are, they're vibrating on the same frequency, even though they're in completely different mediums. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Number four. All right, number four.
1: I wanted to buy a candle holder, but the store didn't have one. So I got a cake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is very much to me, the observational humorist coming through this side of him, which is, you know, literally like I see a cake and I recognize that it, it also serves this function as holding candles, right? I I see one object as a separate different object and can yeah. put that into, fun- there's a lot of Mitch Hedberg jokes that do things like that.
3: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, number three, this one's again, slightly longer, but not much.
1: I was walking by a dry cleaner at 3 a.m. and the sign said, Sorry, we're closed. You don't have to be sorry. It's 3 a.m. and you're a dry cleaner. It would be ridiculous for me to expect you to be open. I'm not going to walk in at 10 and say, hey man, I walked by at 3, you guys were closed. Somebody owes me an apology. I've been working. Hey, that's right.
0: I, I like this as well and this is a similar thing too where it's the observation of like the the little things in our world right the 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 sign that always says sorry or the apologetic tone of that sign yeah, right and he'll he'll what's interesting is the way his mind works because we all pass by this stuff every day a million times and it's the rare mind that will notice that and then extrapolate you know what what can i make out of this like i think it would be interesting cuz i don't feel like i go through life as as much as i like to like you know comment on shit and crack jokes i i don't think i go would walk through a mall and every object i see my brain would be doing this kind of um yeah extrapolation from what things i see yeah i feel like he could walk into a mall with like a with a notepad and come out with an entire act just by noticing all this little shit.
3: Probably. Like he was that kind of guy. Like I mean, he would throw away 90% of it no matter how no matter how much he wrote, but uh like yeah, he would he was constantly writing.
0: Well, that's true of most comedians. I think they'll tell you, yeah, 90% of what you write is garbage, which is why you have to write so much to get that, you know, perfect 10%. 100%.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh by the way, Number I just two, want to say, if anyone's listening to this podcast who's never heard Mitch Hedberg, please listen to him. And, like, I'm I'm, I'm doing these jokes in front of just Doug. There's no audience. You know, I'm doing, like, a little Hedbergian person. Like, I am not doing them the justice that he can do them. You,
0: you do a pretty good Hedberg impression, though, when you put your all into it. I think you've got oh, a good oh, one. Oh, thanks, man.
3: All right, I'll, I'll give it my all on this one. Number all two. Right. I'm a mumbler. If I'm walking with a friend and I say something, he won't hear me. He'll say, What? So I'll say again, but once again, he doesn't hear me, so he says, "What? but really, it's just some insignificant shit that I'm saying, so but now I'm yelling, that tree is far away
0: <laughs> I've had this interchange with my wife more times than I can count. With some <laughs> version of you know you know of like, you know what i you know I said something, it was minor it it got missed, and then it's like. What did you say? I'm like, do I need to repeat this? It was so my, and why aren't you repeating it? Now it becomes bigger and bigger until you're like, yeah, I literally said nothing, which is why I said something like, never mind, in the first place. Yeah.
3: Right. (laughs) Yeah. That relatability helps because even if you don't see the world, like Mitch, you can see how he sees the world.
0: That's the key, right? Is that like your mind doesn't have to work this way. But he leaves you all of the like the breadcrumbs you need to follow him through these jokes. And that's, I think, the delight. Again, you feel like when you're exploring these jokes, you are exploring the inner workings of a mind that's very different from your own. And that's a lot of the delight, I think, of just going like, oh, man, I wish my brain worked this way. I wish I could make the connections that he makes. Uh, So with that, tell me your number one.
3: Uh, it's one of his shorter jokes, it's 13 words long, and I just like to preface it by saying it is also tragic because while it's one of his funniest jokes, it is also the reason why we know, why we don't know what else he could have given us. Uh, I used to do drugs, I still do, but I used to too. <laughs> I used to do drugs, I still do, but I used to too.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I mean, it was funny when he was alive, but like now it's just like, uh, you know, and uh, it's not to end on a a downer here, but just like I saw him a second time in uh, the fall of 2004 and he was touring with Stephen Lynch. Uh, He's a singing comedian who I had never heard of at the time. And uh, but I bought the ticket to see Mitch Hedberg and I figure if this guy's any good bonus, whatever mitch goes on first and i'm thinking man this guy stephen lynch has some balls if he's gonna follow mitch Hedberg. no no it was the absolute right call because mitch was not having a great day and at one point like he had notes all over and he couldn't remember what jokes he did and didn't do he was clearly drunk he was clearly on stuff at one point he laid down on the stage on his back like not part of a bit just he's like i can't really walk right now so i'm just gonna lay down and he was doing jokes from lay down position which was kind of cute except it was so obvious that he wasn't this wasn't like a challenge it was like uh this, this was this was just what circumstances were dictating and it was i remember just being so disappointed and having no idea why he was doing this stephen lynch killed so it saved the night which was great uh but then cut to a few months later, I met a man named Eddie Brill, who you've never heard of him, he was uh he worked as Letterman's uh stand-up uh warm-up guy for years and he would also help book the comedians different things. And uh I remember meeting him at a workshop and I said, Hey man, uh I know you're friends with Mitch Hedberg. Like uh is he okay? Like I saw him a few months ago, he's terrible and he was just like, No, he's not okay. And that was a month before Mitch Hedberg died of a heroin overdose. So
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many, uh, I mean, it's just a story that got repeated over and over again, both in music and in, you know, other uh, mediums, yeah. but like, you know, you, I mean, you can see the parallels between Mitch Hedberg and like Jim Morrison, right? Or, or Absolutely. You know, any of the, uh, basically you know, half of those guys that died. Yeah. Kirk Cobain. Um, you know, everyone who died at the end of the sixties and early seventies. Um, yep. You Hendrix know, and all of them. Yeah. And I think it gives way to this narrative that, like, ah, torture genius, you know, he can't handle the world, so he needs drugs and dies. And, like, that pattern gets repeated, but I don't feel like that that is, in fact, true. Because I've met more than my share of geniuses, uh, you know, both artistic geniuses and people who are geniuses at other things. And uh, no, they don't all die of heroin overdoses. You know, like, it's, there is something else. Uh, it's it's not this idea that like yes they they burn br- they have to die young because they burn so bright like nah. that's that's a fiction
3: yeah it's um, bullshit absolutely you know
0: no he he died of heroin because. He obviously didn't, he needed help and wasn't able to get it for whatever reason or another.
3: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you just because of what I've heard other comedians say is because, uh, as much as I love and respect Mitch Hedberg, he made the choice. Like he got into heroin and all his friends were like, dude, maybe you should slow down on this. And he would tell them I'm making a choice. I'm barreling into this. I'm doing more of this. Like he was not like, I'm trying to quit. Or at least I've never heard of anyone say that. I heard that he was not trying to quit; that he was full steam ahead.
0: Oh no, I, I believe he was. I just mean that, you know, I'm sure somewhere there was an opportunity, or at least I would hope you would think that it happens because, yeah, he's doing that to himself. But is there someone else who can intervene? Is there, you know, is there some path, you know, some place where the fork in the road does not lead to him dying of heroin? And I have to believe that I hope there so. is. You know, you hope so, but I mean it does sort of increase his legend. That's not to make it into a good thing, but like there is something to the, that, you know, this is all we got of him basically, or these three albums and, you know, whatever clips you can scrounge up of him, you know, on Letterman or wherever else. Yeah. And, you know, but, you know, what a mark he left in that short time.
3: That's, that's the, the way one went into this podcast is like, yes, he had a short career. Uh, You know, he was, he never got his full HBO special. He had a half-hour comedy special and, and a number of TV appearances, three albums, and a number of tours, uh, and not not much else. He made a movie that's unwatchably bad. Don't go watch it. It's called Los Enchiladas. Don't. It's it's terrible. It's definitely someone learning how to be a filmmaker, and and they're not there yet. Uh, and but despite all that, I I will still quote him to people who I know. Know his work. If I hear about someone who likes comedy who hasn't heard of Mitch Hedberg, I'll like send them a YouTube clip or something because I'm like, I honestly think if you like comedy, you should you should listen to him because he's probably gonna make you laugh because he figured out how to make everyone laugh.
0: I've yet to see a person you know listen to a Mitch Hedberg thing. And not be at least impressed, even if it's not their cup of tea. Yeah, at least not come away with the idea of like this guy is doing shit that is on another level. Yeah, you know, whether it connects with you or not, that's subjective. But like, you can't ignore what a genius he was. And you know, I, I what when someone like this comes along in a medium, whether it's a film director or a musician or a singer. Or, you know, just just a, a, you know, a luminary, someone who is tapped into something that the rest of us mortals wish we could tap into. Um, You want to be along for that ride. You want to get a chance to experience the world from a perspective that is truly new. And Mitch Hedberg gave us that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And thanks to the recordings uh, on YouTube and uh, and wherever you get your audio or whatever, like. Will always have that contribution and it will probably be relevant for quite some time.
0: Is there anyone who you've seen lately as a stand up comedian who you think, you know, obviously isn't doing what Mitch did, but embodies something about his spirit or, you know, again, you know, having this kind of maybe a different take on things?
3: Yeah, um there, there's I think there's a lot of good comics out there who are doing, you know, different stuff and experimental stuff, which I love how much is happening in the world of comedy and you know, the audience is so splintered now that you can really do your own thing. There's a Finnish comedian named Izmo, one name, I Z M O, and he has some very hilarious observations of like what it's like to be a Finnish man in the United States and he builds on this absurdity in a sincere way. Different voice than Hedberg, but I can see how I assume he was probably inspired by Hedberg. Not in any way of like infringement, but in just like a like, oh man, he helped. He probably helped you find this voice.
0: Yeah, the one I would cite as a comedian I've been into for a while. uh, Someone I found uh, he did. He was on one of these like stand-up competition shows. Like that's where he first got to start. I think it was. I think it was called. Um, Last Comic Standing That's what Mm -hmm. it was called He was on Last Comic Standing Uh, Gary Gullman Oh, he's um, great Yeah, he he does a lot with observation That is, again, uh, not always He does some very personal stuff And he is a storyteller But he also does this highly abstracted shit Kind of like what Mitch Hedward would do Maybe in a longer format But he does that And again, a lot of it depends on his unique cadence He's extraordinarily precise with the yeah. way he delivers, like word by word, um, so I feel like that has a little bit of Mitch's spirit in it. The way he does that, um, so I'd recommend people go seek that. out. In fact, I think he just has a new special on HBO very recently, um, which is great. Um, so, uh, so yeah, yeah I, he's, would, he's, I would. He's seek had him a
3: few out. that you that are worth checking out. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, he's wonderful. And if you don't know who he is, uh, you have seen him if you saw Joker, uh, because he is the comedian working the club when Joaquin Phoenix goes to watch a comedian. (laughs) That's the comedian he's watching. That's Gary. I've
3: never seen the movie. I'll check it out.
0: Yeah, Uh, it's it's the feel good movie of the year.
3: (laughs) 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 I'll shout out one more quick comedian. Her name is Tina. fremmel i think it sounds pronounced f-r-i-m-l uh you sounded like cere- you're about to
0: say like this this tina fay have you ever heard of her <laughs> this up-and-comer she's this up-and-comer
3: uh but uh, tina fremmel she has cerebral palsy and uh she so she you know part of like her literal speaking voice is different cadence than than most of us so she just leans into it and she uses uh, her voice in the most funny way, in a commanding way, in a very like smart kind of way, and I don't know if she was influenced by Mitch Hedberg or not. She's kind of young, but uh, definitely like when I watch her, I I think of Mitch.
0: That reminds me of uh, there's another comedian I think his name is Josh Blue who also has cerebral palsy yeah, and he's similar great. thing where you know he is a great comedian and he you know he can't obviously he can't help his condition. And so what you do as a good comedian or or performer is, yeah, I'm, this is the authentic me, right? Because the thing that worked about Mitch is that he somehow managed to be both this heightened, you know, weird abstract character and incredibly authentic at the same time. If you're not authentic as a comedian, the audience will immediately smell that and you're done. Like you have to have, the audience has to like believe in what you're saying. Uh, and that is hard to fake. Um, you know, So, you know, you, you have to just be yourself and the audience will like you a whole lot more. So um, million percent. yeah. Um, Rich, we're, we're coming here to the end. So, you know, we've sort of talked about it a lot, but what do you, what is it you think about Mitch Hedberg's work that, you know, endures? You know, I, cause I think he's up there on the Mount Rushmore with, you know, Richard Pryor and George Carlin and, You know, uh, Robin Williams, like these like stand up comedians where you just go like this guy did something unique and special that will be celebrated forever.
3: I have a list of songs that I need to put on if I feel like I got to cry. And so I'll just put on certain songs and like it will make me cry. And then I have a list of uh, YouTube videos that I'm like, I need to laugh. And there's some Monty Python on there and there's some movie scenes and some different things. But Mitch Hedberg is on there more than anything else. Because even though I've heard these jokes hundreds of times at this point, I will still laugh every time I listen to them. And it just, he's, he created material. He created, you know, these recordings that will always put me in a good mood every time.
0: Yeah. I think for me, it's the innovation, um, I, you know, because you know, you and I have both spent a lot of time performing and when you when you do that, as you, when you're the kind of person that we are, you know, we just we we watch all the comedy we can get our hands on. You you dissect it. You tend to see the code in the matrix as you watch it, um, which allows you to you can still appreciate it. But it does, you know, th- there is a little bit of like ah, I wish I didn't know all of the how all of this the, the uh, magic trick was done. Um, with something like this, even when you understand you know, the mathematics going on under each joke, which we've talked about tonight, you know, like it, just, it was just a handful of them. It never stops being impressive. Yeah. And there's, you watch this and just go like, nobody could put jokes together the way he did and deliver them the way he did. It is such a unique vision and point of view. It's almost like um, comparing to another, yet another luminary Picasso. When you look at a Picasso painting, it is like that is a Picasso painting. Nobody else could see the world in this weird cubist way that Pablo Picasso did. And that's why his art is going to be, you know, remembered for centuries. Yes. Um, You know, and, and this is the stand up equivalent of something like that. Mitch Hedberg's view of planet Earth is unique to him and will stand the test of time, I think, because no one can do what he did the way he did it is yeah. you know that special yeah absolutely so um great pick i'm really glad we we spent the time to, to do this one today and now that i know you're a monty python fan i'm gonna file that away mm-hmm. because we got to do an episode on monty python you and i sure. at some point um so all right um rich uh what do you got to plug man uh tell us uh tell people where they can find you well, we've been
3: talking about stand-up this whole time, so I coach stand-ups one-on-one, uh, private coaching, and I also teach uh, improv classes, and I coach improv troops and all that kind of stuff. So you can find me at Rich Baker Coaching on Instagram or www.richbakercoaching.com.
0: And if you uh, like this podcast, please spend the time to go uh, wherever you found it and drop it a review. That uh, That is very helpful for uh you know raising the podcast visibility doesn't take long and i know there's people out there listening so do it do it because i command it no um no please do it it is very helpful Uh, so uh so do that also um so if you have if you want to uh drop us a line i'm There's a link to all of our social media portals in the show notes, but we're on X uh, threads, blue sky and Instagram. And also I'm on TikTok doing bullshit impressions, but you can go there and uh, see that not really related to the show, but fuck it. It's fun. Um, So uh, I'll put my bonus reels up there, too. Um, So, yeah, the bonus reels are on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, So if you have thoughts on our recent spate of episodes, uh, which was uh, going back in time, Matchbox 20, Independence Day and Ghostbusters, um, please do that. Coming up real soon, um, assuming all goes according to plan, we'll record that Crash Bandicoot episode we uh, weren't able to do last month, because uh, just shit happens. Um, we're also planning on recording an episode, uh, kind of a follow-up to our uh, favorite Disney songs episode. We're gonna do like a sequel to that episode about all of the songs. The first batch was all about songs from the 61 animated classic films. This is uh, our favorite songs from every Disney thing outside of that list of films, so. The theme parks, uh, stuff from the Disney Channel, uh, live-action movies, right? If you're wondering like why didn't they put a Mary Poppins song in there? That's why. Uh, we that'll it may show up now. Um, so we're gonna do that, uh, and I believe we've also got one uh, in the works on Spaceballs. So lots of fun stuff coming down the pipeline. Um, so keep an eye out for that stuff, and um, yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Rich, thanks again for stopping by as always.
3: Thanks so much for having me as always.
0: All right, uh, and so until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgia Arcana.
1: Hey, you know what keeps me from acting? Fucking auditions. (laughs) But I got to be in a movie. I had a small scene in a movie. But I I got to act with Peter Frampton. He was in the movie. And we had to smoke pot for our scene. But it was fake pot. Do not buy pot on a movie set. (laughs) But I got to smoke fake pot with Peter Frampton. That's a cool story. It's as cool as smoking real pot with a guy who looks like Peter Frampton. (laughs) I've done that way more. Now, Peter Frampton's a musical legend, but I don't know his music, so when you meet a legend and you don't know his body of work, you have to divert from that fact. Hey, Peter Frampton, do you like toast, too? Yes, as do I. It's warm and crispy, and a perfect place for jelly to lay. Now, stay away from me, Frampton. I ain't got shit to say to you. You know, I'm sick of following my dreams, man. I'm just going to ask where they're going and hook up with them later. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Get some applause on that CD. Thanks a lot. Happy birthday, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate the laughs, man.